0: Hey, Christ community, Uh, so glad you are here. Greetings to our traditions venue and our uh, campus that meets at Northridge High School, our West Campus. So glad all of you are here joining us. Before we jump into the message, I wanted to make a staffing announcement. Uh, Pastor Jason Holland, who has been leading our high school ministry for the past five years, has very recently transitioned out of that position. And I love Jason and his wife, Nat, and I'm so thankful for their love for Jesus. Jesus and their passion for our youth. And uh, we as a church just are extremely grateful for the investment of their lives into this ministry area in our church. And so we wanted just to give an opportunity for us to express our appreciation and to pray for them. So, uh, Jason and Nat, would you all come up and let's just express our appreciation for these guys? <clears throat> So I wanted to pray. Let's let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for Jason and Nat and their love for you, and their the investment of their lives in ministry here, in uh, kids here, in my 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 kids here, Lord, and just in so many families impacted by that. We thank you for them, and we, we thank you for the seeds that have been sown, and we pray you would continue to bear fruit through those seeds and uh, that their impact would continue. And God, we pray for them in this next step of their journey, you would lead them, you would open doors, you would guide, you would provide everything that they need, Lord. And so we thank you for them, fill them and protect them and use them for your glory. God, thank you for their passion for you their love for you, God. And we just pray that you would increase the impact of their lives for your glory, God. So thank you for them. We love them. We entrust them to you. And again, thank you for their being a part of our family for these five years, Lord. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, love you guys. Okay, so if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 16. We're continuing this journey through the book of Luke, kind of doing this verse by verse. Journey really this this verse by verse approach here through this this amazing resource and what makes it amazing is the book of Luke gives us an eyewitness based account of Jesus life and ministry now one thing if you've been following along with this here one thing that has become very evident is that in Luke's account Jesus is not afraid to touch on any subject. Okay. He's not afraid to go after and address subjects that we in the church are sometimes a little more hesitant to go after. And so for instance, in this chapter that we're just starting on in Luke 16, um, Jesus, he talks about money. He talks about divorce and remarriage and he talks about hell. Um, that's chapter 16. Uh, and so part of me kind of wishes I could just skip over this chapter. Uh, but another part of me is like, Hey, let's go for it let's go for it. I want all of Jesus, right? I want all of what he said, not some watered down piecemeal approach that just picks and chooses our favorite verses and topics, right? And so today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 16, um, beginning in verse one, verses one to 15. And what Jesus, as I mentioned a moment ago, what Jesus is focusing on in this particular passage is money. Jesus talked a lot about money, which is why, as we're going through the book of Luke, this subject comes up quite a bit. And you know, I gotta be honest, I'm always concerned when when whenever I teach on this subject, I'm just concerned that people are gonna think that I have this hidden agenda. That maybe you think I have this hidden agenda. I don't. You know, I'm not teaching on this because our church needs more money. I'm teaching on this because it's the next passage that that we're looking at in the book of Luke. I mean, Jesus is the one who brings it up. So if you have a problem with that, bring it up with him. Okay. Um, So, so let's let him speak to us about this. What Jesus does in this passage is describe for us the key to financial health from God's perspective. So you can go online and you can find all sorts of articles and videos about how to achieve financial health. And, 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 and I'm sure many of them are very, very helpful, but I'm guessing that most, if not all of them will never mention what Jesus articulates as being the key to financial health. And if we miss this one point, If we miss this one foundation, we will completely miss God's perspective on this huge area of our lives. And the impact of that can be devastating. I'm so glad there are a number of young people here because what you're hearing now, what you're hearing from Jesus could be life changing for you. Life-changing. So what is the key for all of us, but especially those who are young? So what is the key to financial health according to Jesus? Well, it's revealed in verse 1 of Luke 16. Here's what we read. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting His possessions. Now, you're probably wondering how anything in that verse points to the key to financial health, but it does. It's there, it's found in this word, manager. See, so often when Jesus tells parables that have to do with money, he often tells a story that involves a manager of someone else's resources. And in this word, we discover the key to financial health, according to Jesus. And here it is. I've tried to articulate it here. Jesus' key to financial health is in choosing to live our lives as a manager of God's resources, rather than as the owner of our resources. That's the key. And this distinction is absolutely huge. Do we view our money and our possessions as ours to spend and save and do whatever we want with, or do we view these things as God's and we're simply managing these resources that he has entrusted to us, resources that he ultimately owns? Which is it? Which is it? How we answer that one question determines how fully we are experiencing God's definition of financial health. Okay, so what happens next in this passage or in this passage here is that Jesus gives us two characteristics of an effective manager of God's resources, two characteristics. The first we see in this story that he tells. So let me um, begin again here and read the, the, the story. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, He he replied. Well, he told him, take your bill and make it 800. Okay, so let's, let's stop here for just a moment. In this story, this very wealthy man hears that, his word that his, the manager that he hired, the person in charge of his accounts and possessions, was not doing a very good job managing. He was wasting his owner's possessions. And so this rich man calls in his manager and he basically fires him. You can't work here any longer. Now what's fascinating here is the manager doesn't argue his case. He doesn't plead for his job because he knows he's guilty. So what he does instead is begin to think. He's trying to figure out a way to survive this financial storm. He admits he's not strong enough to dig ditches. You know, he's too proud to beg. You got to admit his hon- you got you gotta admire his honesty here, right? I'm too I'm not strong enough to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. So what can I do? And he has this brilliant idea. My master's creditors they don't know yet that I'm fired. And so I can go to them wearing my official uniform. I can go to them and I can work a deal on their behalf. So then they will treat me well and welcome me into their homes for meals and all that. And so he, he does this. So he goes to one creditor. He says, how much do you? Oh, the guy says 900 gallons of olive oil. This manager says, quick, take your bill right now. Cut it in half. And he does a similar thing with, with other creditors even though he is not in a position to do this anymore because he's been fired, but they don't know that. Now, for many people, and if you read commentaries on this, and this, is, this parable goes south for a lot of people. They don't know what to do with this parable. And the reason this is where the parable goes south, because look at what Jesus says next in verse 8. The master commended this, the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. What? How could the master commend this dishonest manager? I mean, he actually re- misrepresented himself t- to other people. He was deceptive. He was continuing to act like he was employed when he wasn't employed. So why was the master commending him? Well, Jesus says it's because of the manager's shrewdness. Now, this word, this word means prudence or or wisdom. Here's what he did. He used Resources that technically weren't his, they were his master's. He used his master's resources to benefit his own situation, to create friends who would welcome him into their homes. It was a very shrewd move, and the master realizes it. He commends his former employee, not for his disobedience. He commends him for his shrewdness. So what could this possibly have to do with us? Jesus tells us in the next verse, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This is so fascinating. I, I don't recall another place in the Bible, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall another place in the Bible where Jesus actually wants us to behave more like the world. But that's exactly what he's saying here. He is using this manager as a positive example for us. Okay, how how so? Well, again, this manager used resources that technically weren't his in order to benefit his own situation to create friends who would welcome him into their homes. And Jesus is saying to us, you would be wise to do the exact same thing with your worldly wealth. Because remember, you are not the owners of your stuff. You're managing it for God. So you have the opportunity to take resources that technically aren't even yours. They are resources God has entrusted to you. And yet you as manager can use those resources to actually bless other people. And the result will be that you receive blessing. Right? Jesus says, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is taking this very earthly example of the shrewd manager, and he's using this to teach us a very important spiritual principle. Here's the principle. An effective money manager for God is someone who demonstrates shrewd generosity. An effective money manager for God is someone who demonstrates shrewd generosity. In other words, they give generously of God's resources to bless other people, and they get blessed in, in return. See, that's shrewd generosity. You see, if we, think of our, if we think of our money, if you think of your money as yours, that you're the owner, it's really hard to give it away when you're the owner. But if you think of yourself as a manager, and your master actually encourages you to use his money to bless other people suddenly giving takes on a whole new dimension right cuz <laughs> it's it's not even it's not even my money anyway it's not my money anyway but when i give it away i end up receiving a blessing right and as if it were my money now the blessing that jesus mentions here is that he says we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He's obviously talking about heaven, but there's something here that I want to point out. Um, if you'll just um, let me geek out on Greek for just a moment, okay? Um, I don't usually like to do this, but this is fascinating. As I was studying this verse um, in the original language of in, in, in Greek, I realized that it doesn't technically say you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's not what it says. What it literally says is, and they will welcome you into eternal dwelling. So who is the they? Well, grammatically speaking, the most obvious answer is that the they refers to the people you helped. So follow me here. Imagine the scene. You get to heaven. You get to heaven one day and you start seeing people there who have come to know Jesus because of your generosity towards, let's say, our church's children's ministry. Or or you see people there, and or maybe you see people there who are there because you gave financially, to the resource center that helped a woman choose life over abortion. And that child that she had is now not only thankful for her own life, but she ended up leading dozens of other people to Christ. Or you see a refugee family there, and they're there in heaven because you invested financially, you invested in, that, in, in some ministry working with them on earth. So as you arrive in heaven, as you arrive there, all these people have huge smiles on their faces. And they are expressing gratitude to you for your generosity because of the eternal impact that it had upon them. They are welcoming you into your eternal dwelling. And as you're standing there, you're drinking in all of this, you have this thought, it wasn't even my money. It wasn't even my money. I was using God's resources to bless these people, and yet here I am receiving the benefit of that. And so you you start to feel a little guilty, right? You kind of feel a little guilty if you can experience guilt in heaven. I don't know, but you start to feel a little guilty and suddenly Jesus comes up beside you and he says, man, that was some shrewd money management. Well done, good job. You used resources that technically weren't yours to help other people find Jesus. And then you get to enjoy the blessing of that throughout eternity. I mean, what a deal. (laughs) What a deal. Jesus is saying the people of the world get this concept. They totally get how you can use other people's resources to benefit yourself. Jesus just wishes that his followers would realize how this works with God's resources and that we would live our lives accordingly. Generously giving of God's resources to help other people. It's a shrewd move. And Jesus praises him for it. And he encourages us to do the same here. So the first quality of an effective money manager from God's perspective is shrewd generosity. Using God's resources to to not only help others, but then it's again, using God's resources, not ours, using God's resources to not only help others, but then to also benefit ourselves. So we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, that's the first, what the the story means here, first, first part. Second quality of an effective money manager, from God's perspective, is revealed in the next few verses. So look with me at Luke 16, verses 10 to 12 here. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, every one of us here gets the principle that Jesus is articulating here. It applies to so many areas. For instance... Let's say you share with a friend this confidential little secret that you have, okay? Um, and you, the next day you see on Facebook this little secret kind of posted for everyone to see. If that happens, how eager are you going to be to share deeper secrets with that particular friend? Not very, right? Or let's say you're a parent of a teenager and you give your teenager the responsibility to be home by 11 o'clock. Okay. You got to be home by 11 and they come in at 1130 instead. How willing are you going to be to give them more responsibility when they haven't even, they haven't proven they can even handle the responsibility that you've given them. See, we, we get this, we get this principle, but what Jesus does, he takes this principle that we all understand He takes this very real real, world practical example and he applies it to the area of money management from God's perspective. See, God is saying how you handle the money I entrust you is a measure of how trustworthy you are. A trustworthy manager uses the master's resources according to how the master wants them to be used. If the manager doesn't use them that way, it's an indicator of the manager's lack of trustworthiness. And the master's saying, I'm not going to entrust more resources to this manager who hasn't even, with the, the resources I've already given them, they haven't handled the, the way I wanted them to. So why would I entrust them more resources? That's the principle here. So so let me state this another way. Because Jesus is basically saying to us, how you handle your money is a test. How you handle your money is a test. It is a test for how faithful and trustworthy you are. A manager who spends all the master's money on him or herself is not a faithful manager. That's, That's what Jesus is saying here. But it is not just a test of trustworthiness. It's a test of something even more significant than that. And, and, and to understand that, we look at what Jesus says next. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Jesus. Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now notice what Jesus is saying here. How we spend our resources is a test of our love for God. It's a test of our devotion to him. So the second characteristic of an effective money manager, from God's perspective, is a passionate love for God. A passionate love for God. See, this is a heart issue. And that's why Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Pharisees are hearing him tell the story, and they're sneering at him. They're making fun of him for for telling the story. And that's why Jesus says to them, in response to them making fun of him, he says, God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. They love money, and God knows that. He knows their hearts. You see, how we spend our money is a heart issue. It reveals the level of our love. It reveals, for God, the level of our devotion to God. It's a heart issue. So if we, as managers of God's resources that he's entrusted to us, if we choose to spend all of those resources on ourselves, Jesus says that's an indicator that you love money and things more than you love me this is hard stuff. It's so hard. But but we know it to be the case, right? I mean, we know this to be the case in, in, in other relationships. I mean, if I say to my wife, Raylene, I love you so much. I love you so much. And then I just keep living my life the way I want to, doing what I want to do and never serving her and never listening to her, and never giving her attention or whatever. My words don't mean anything. I mean, right? My words don't mean anything. My my actions reveal what I truly love. And so in a, in a Christian, in a, a, a religious context or a spiritual context we can say and sing you know, how much we love God we can do that for hours we can say how much we love God we can sing about how much we love God but Jesus says one of the tests of that love is our generosity if we spend the vast majority of our resources on ourselves we are revealing loud and clear we are revealing what it is we truly love and it's not God it's not God Now, let me just stop and acknowledge here. This is heavy, right? This is heavy stuff. It is hard to hear. It is stuff that I wrestle with. Just to be vulnerable, this is stuff I wrestle with. I see this love of money surfacing in my own life all the time. It is surfacing all the time. I mean, I confess, especially lately, I sometimes get more excited about what my mutual fund investments are doing than I do about what Jesus is doing. Sometimes I find myself turning to purchases and things for joy, momentary joy or comfort, rather than turning to God. I mean, can all of us just admit, I won't raise hands or have anyone raise hands, but can we, can we all just admit that we love money and what it does for us? We do. We love money and what it does for us. And because of that, we often struggle being an effective manager of God's resources. See, seeing the issue is a huge part of this journey in our lives. But once we see it, how do we grow in this? That's the key question. I mean, it's not just, oh, God just wants us to feel guilty. He doesn't want us to feel guilty, right? How do we grow in this? How do we grow in being the money manager Jesus wants us to be? Well, there's a powerful passage in the Bible that actually shows us very specifically how to apply Jesus' words. And so we're going we're to jump there and kind of dive into this. It's in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, chapter 3. What's happening here is that God is calling his people out for not being effective money managers. Um, in fact, God uses some very descriptive language to call them out on this. He says to his people, you're robbing me this is the language he uses. Look at this verse eight. Will a mere man, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. I mean, this is very vivid. It's very strong language. God is saying, Hey guys, you're not, he's saying to his people, you're not being the money managers. You're not managing my resources the way I want you to. But see, they didn't realize it. They didn't even realize they weren't. And so they ask him in verse eight, they ask him, how are we robbing you? Like, I thought we were doing fine with this. What are you talking about? How are we robbing you? How are we not managing your money well? So God tells them, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. See, God says, the reason, the reason you're not being an effective manager of my resources and are, and, are, and are reaping the negative consequences of that, the reason for that is because you're not embracing my principles for generosity, which revolve around these two practices, these two practical tools, the tithe and the offering. So let's unpack, let's unpack these, these concepts. The word tithe literally means 10%. The biblical idea of the tithe is that 10% of whatever we earn belongs to the Lord, okay? If I earn $1,000, $100 belongs to him. If I earn $100,000, $10,000 belongs to him. It is dedicated to him, which is why here he says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. You're not giving to me this basic amount that belongs to me. It's mine. So when you're not giving me what's mine, you are robbing me. Now, this practice of tithing is shown, again, this is practical tool. It's shown throughout the Bible. So we see that it's introduced by Abraham and, and Jacob in the book of Genesis before the law of Moses is ever given. And then it's made official kind of by Moses in the law. And then it gets applied by Joshua, Joshua 5, and then by Mal- in the book of Malachi. And then it gets affirmed by Jesus in Matthew 23, 23. So it is clearly a, a biblical concept. But more than that, it's a life-changing tool. It is not this legalistic requirement. It is a life-changing tool. My life has been significantly impacted by this tool, which I'll share about in just in just a minute. Now, in the passage that we just read, God also refers to the offering. So the people say, well, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offering. So the offering, the language of offering refers to gifts given that are outside the realm of the 10% tithe. See, the Bible never encourages us to think that the tithe is like the be-all and end-all of giving. That, I mean, everything we have belongs to the Lord. And so the remaining 90% is to be treated as belonging to him as well. And so the principle of the offering is that we pray and we ask God how he would want us to use this remaining 90% as various needs and opportunities present themselves to us. So we're just praying and asking him for that. Okay, so both the tithe and the offering are practical tools. That's all they are. They're just tools to help us, to help reinforce in our hearts this idea that God owns our stuff. We're the managers of his property. Okay, now back to this passage. After God tells the people that they're robbing him, they're not managing his resources well. He then issues this very direct challenge. In fact, I want you to read this out loud with me here. Verse 10, this is what he says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now this word whole means complete. It means all. See, God is saying, I want you to bring me the whole 10%, not part The entire 10% is to be brought to me because it belongs to me. It belongs to me. Now, please hear me. Please hear my heart in this. This is not about the money. It is not. This is all about the heart. God is saying, I want you to put me first in your finances by giving to me the first 10% of whatever you earn. And that's what makes this tool so powerful. When we tithe, we give God the first 10%, not the leftovers after every other bill is paid. No, we, no, God gets the first. He gets the best, which is such a powerful way to demonstrate that he comes first in our lives. It is such a powerful way to say to God, you come before anything else. I love you more than anything else in my life. You come before my house payment. You come before my student loan. You come before my car payment. I love you more than anything else. And this is my way to demonstrate that that's what the tithe is about. You come first. The first 10% is yours, Lord. Now again, this is life-changing. And I I say that because I, I first heard about the concept of tithing when I was in college, attending a Baptist church when I was in college. I'm so glad someone taught me this. I mean, I my first tithe check to the church back then. I still remember this. It was for six dollars. It was for six bucks because my monthly income was sixty dollars at that time. Now someone could say six bucks. I mean, come on. I mean, the treasurer is probably going to laugh at that when they see it in the offering plate. I mean, six bucks. I mean, what difference would that make to the church? But folks, that was not the issue. For me, the issue was not the amount. The issue was my heart choosing to put God first, to give him the first 10%. That was a holy moment for me. It was like a spiritual, a stake in the ground moment for me spiritually. I'll never forget it wasn't about the $6. I mean, that $6 check probably meant very little to that church. It meant everything spiritually to me in terms of what God was doing in my heart at that moment. I'll never forget that. It it established this principle in my life, and Raylene and I have continued this practice even when it was really hard, and it didn't make sense financially to do it. I mean, we were in a season... Man, when when we seriously considered, we have got to stop tithing right now because we're not going to make it. We, we've got to, we, we need that income. We, we, we can't do this. We were desperate. We were in an awful situation, but in our wrestling, so we're wrestling, we're thinking through this, should we not? You know, we're wrestling. We, we finally just decided we wanted to keep putting God first in this area of our lives. We're just going to keep putting him first even if this other stuff falls apart, whatever, we just want to keep putting it first in this way. And we don't regret that in the least. Now, I will say that God has not stopped challenging us in the air of generosity. Um, the, the tithe is just a beginning. And I know I'm speaking to people at various places. And see, please bear with me here. If I'm, I'm not trying to offend anyone, probably offend everyone, but I'm not trying to, okay? But I'm trying to speak to just various places. And for really, and I, the tithe was just, it's just a beginning. And God has continued to Stretch us beyond 10%. He continues to do that. And that has not been easy either. It's not, I'm not going to make it sound like, oh, this is so awesome. It's it's not been easy either as we think about where that money could, what other things we could spend that on. Now, what I love about this passage is that God totally acknowledges how difficult this is. (laughs) I love this. He knows it's going to be hard. He knows it, and which is what makes his response so awesome, makes his response so helpful. Look again at what he says next here, or look look at what he says next here. Test me in this. This is God speaking to us. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I mean, he is, God is like, come on, you can do this. You can do this. I know it's gonna be hard, but here's the deal. When you step out in faith and do this, just watch me respond. He's like daring us to do this so that he can show how awesome he is. That's what he's doing here. Totally doing that. He's saying, look, I will just come on, come on, come on. Do this, do this. You can you can trust me. I will pour. If you do this, if you step out in faith in this way, I'm going to pour out so much blessing that you won't even have room enough for it. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean financial blessing. It doesn't. I mean, he's talking about, I mean, he could. It doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, he, he's talking about a blessing that encompasses our whole lives, Well, how do you know that? Why is this blessing so far reaching? It's because, here's why it's so far reaching. It's because we are loving God with all of our heart, right? When we do this, when we practice what he's saying, we are choosing to love God with all of our heart. And that's like the most important commandment, isn't it? No wonder it releases such blessing because we're applying the most important commandment. Love God with all your heart. And that impacts, that's why it impacts every area of our lives. Floodgates get opened. Floodgates get opened. That's what generosity releases in our lives. Okay, so, so let me just ask the core question of this passage. In Luke 16, in Malachi 3, these passages. Here's the core question. Are you effectively managing God's resources? Are you putting God first in your finances? Are you growing in generosity? See, the, the tithe and the offering, those are just tools. Don't get hung up on, oh, he's just legalistic, blah, blah. It's not. If you're hearing me say that, you're not. I'm not communicating very well. You're not hearing what I'm intending here. This is not about legalistically follow, oh, you got you know, it. It's not. These are tools God has given us to help us grow in this, in being the managers he wants us to be. Which, again, the key question here is, are we growing in this? As I mentioned earlier, we didn't plan the timing of this. We're just going through the book of Luke. Um, But it is interesting to me that we're talking about this at the same time of year when perhaps we're receiving giving statements from our church or other charitable organizations that we have given to. And here's the question. What do these previous year giving statements reveal About how well we're managing God's resources. I mean, do the math. You can do the math. Here's how much I gave, here's how much I made. Divide it up. That what does that percentage say about how well we are managing God's resources? Are we robbing God? And then the question for each of us is: Jesus, how can I grow in this? I admit, I'm robbing you. How can I grow in this? How can I manage your resources better? I mean, all of us have room to grow in this. All of us do. We are probably all guilty of robbing God in some way. So this isn't about, oh, I have a master and you don't, or so-and-so has a master. No, 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 we we all are robbing God in some way. We can all grow in this. But here's what I love about God's response in Malachi 3 and in Luke 16. It is not condemnation. It's an invitation. I love that. This is not about, you know, and condemn. It's not. God is giving us an invitation. God is saying to us, test me. Come on, test me. Trust me in this. Take whatever next step I'm asking you to take to be a better manager of my resources. And then watch me pour out blessing on you. Not only in this life, but in the life to come as you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's what Jesus promises to those who manage his money with shrewd generosity and a passionate love for him. That's what he promises. The question is are we willing to step out in faith and do whatever it is he's asking us to do? Let's pray together. So, God, thank you. Thank you for your word. So let's just quiet our hearts. We're we're all about response here in this church, and letting the Word not just fill our heads with information, but it's like, okay, God, what are you saying to my heart? And so let's just enter into a time where we allow Him to speak to our heart. And there's no pressure here. If you you're new to the faith, you're kind of, or you're, you're exploring this whole Christianity thing, man, just don't feel any pressure. But for those of you, if you if you're a Christian, if you've placed your trust in Jesus. God invites you to open your heart and respond to him. So let's just do that. So we quiet our hearts. This is between you and the Lord. It's not about the person next to you. This is just you and the Lord. So let's just ask the Lord in the quiet of your heart, just ask him, God, how well am I managing your resources? Am I robbing you in any way? Just ask the Lord that and just listen. Listen. So I realize this is a, just for the sake of time here, we're kind of moving through this response, but this may be a, there may be you may need time to sit in this, and I would encourage you to do that, to ask these questions before the Lord. And if you sense God saying, How, you're robbing me here, just confess that. Just confess that. Confess it to him. I admit it, Lord, I need help. So just take a moment, just acknowledge that if that's what's going on. he forgives us right this isn't about condemnation he invites us to journey with him in this and so so the next question then is 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 this question god what do you want me to do about this what what next step would you want me to take so let's just ask the lord that Lord, that, that's, that's such a big question, and I know it's not to answer that in 30 seconds. Maybe you just did, but maybe, I mean, many of us probably just need some more time to wrestle with these two questions. Am I robbing you, and how can you help me grow and being a better manager? And so I pray for us, whatever, that we would listen to you, and then you would give us the courage and strength to do whatever you're asking us to do in this area. So I want to pray for that wherever we are at in this journey. The goal is the same. You just want to grow our hearts in generosity. And so I just pray for that. For me, I pray that for all of us, that we would be better managers of your resources. And in doing so, we would be opening the door for amazing blessings in this life and in the life to come. So I pray for courage to move forward in those things, decisions that need to be made. I pray for conversations with with our our spouse or our our family members, whatever we need to do. Lord, I just pray for the courage to continue to seek you about this and to obey you. And I I thank you, God, that as steps of obedience are being taken and as movement is made, you promise, you promise. the only place in the Bible you say to test you. You promise to pour out blessing. And so I just pray for that. I pray for a release of the floodgates of heaven, a blessing as we choose to take steps in this direction towards greater generosity and more effective money management for your glory, God. I pray for that release. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. And we do this because... Ultimately, because you're such an uh, awesome, you're such a generous giver to us, you gave us your best, your son, and it's out of that response of grace that we give back to you. So thank you for, thank you, Father, for loving us. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. And we just ask you to help us grow in this area that is such an important part of your heart and your character. Help us as your children grow in this as well, Lord. Ah, We love you. We love you, God. So we have an opportunity now um, to continue to respond with some songs of, of worship and consecration to the Lord. It may be that God is still speaking to your heart about things, and that's totally cool. I'm going to ask everyone to stand in a moment, but you can remain seated if you want and just continue to pray, whatever God's doing. But for the rest of us, why don't we just stand? Let's stand, and if at some point you want to stand, this, totally fine. And let's, let's let this worship be about God. Jesus, we love you. You are first in our lives, and so we love you. We praise you. We honor you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Do your thing here, we pray. Thank you, God.